0: 12. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the people of Israel defeated them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land for a possession to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And these are the kings of the land whom, is, whom Joshua and the people of Israel defeated on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halleck that rises towards Sarah. And Joshua gave their land to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their allotments. In the hill country, in the lowland, in the Arabah, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the Negeb, the land of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, in all 31 kings. This is God's word. Thank you, God. You can be seated. Thank you, Marissa. Um, Instead of having Marissa read the entirety of chapter 12, I just had her read a section. Um, If you look at Joshua 12, you see the subtitles of those passages are Kings Defeated by Moses and Kings Defeated by Joshua. And so what Marissa read was a recounting of the kings defeated since God freed his people from slavery in Egypt and fulfilled his promise to bring them into the land of Canaan In all 31 kings. I wanted to to just recap that and set the stage for us, but I have a couple other things. So um, we're really glad to be back. Kendall and I had a great three weeks off. There goes my water. Uh, We had a great three weeks off. Thank y'all. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you to our leaders and our volunteers. Thank you guys for giving us a little mini sabbatical. Uh, We Rested well, spent time with our kids, um, and Kendall and I spent time with one another. Uh, and it was, it was really good and helpful. Started a, a process of, of healing and just dependence on Jesus in a deeper way that, that we have not experienced before. Um, I'll get back to that in just a second. But before we do that, I want to let you know that we're going to pause Joshua after today. So Joshua 12 um, is the halfway point in the book of Joshua, and it acts as a pause. It acts as, you might see in the Psalms, the word Selah. It acts as a Selah for us to look back and reflect. And so we're gonna read through Joshua 12. I'm gonna preach Joshua 12, and then we're gonna take a little bit of a break, a four-week break, Um, and for the next four weeks, we're actually gonna be going through a sermon series on We Are the Church, is what that's called. And so we'll look next week at our identity as God's beloved people. And then the following three weeks will be gospel, community, and mission, the the pillars, the foundation, the nature of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, Along with that sermon series, immediately after, starting in December, Brian will be leading out a class uh, on the very same thing. It's called What is the Church? And it's probably going to help you guys answer a lot of questions about, like, am I at church? Am I doing church? Am I the church? And what does that mean? What does scripture say about the church? And how does that influence the way that I live uh, in, in front of my neighbors, in front of my coworkers, in front of other Christians um, at this church or another church? We've got, we're going to answer lots of questions. Uh, Brian's going to answer lots of questions. No pressure. So uh, we've got the sermon series and the class coming up. That class will be on Wednesday nights. Um, what is it? Six 6.30 to 8.00. So um, please, uh, do we sign up for that? Is that a registration on our website? Sweet. Registration. I've been out three weeks, guys. Um, yes, there's a registration on our website, RedeemerSanAngelo.com. Uh, please do register for that class. It'll start in this, uh, September. So um, like I said, our time off, our three weeks of, of rest and healing and presence with one another and with Jesus was, was really great and refreshing Um, And one of the things that Jesus led me to in that time was he helped me see myself a little more clearly. And one of those things that he let me see was that I have a deep hunger and thirst for righteousness. My own righteousness, but also your righteousness. The righteousness of my wife and my kids, the righteousness of um, the church that I love, the righteousness of the city In the church at large, I have a deep hunger and thirst for righteousness, but because of sin, because I'm flawed, I'm broken, I'm weak, it is natural and easy for me to take that hunger and thirst of righteousness and find ways to earn it. I try to perform in order to earn. Righteousness in order to be right in the eyes of God, or right in the eyes of my family, or right in the eyes of you. And this is this is called codependence. I depend on something else to make me okay, right? Jesus helped me see that what this codependence does is it makes me fear. It makes me fear losing this this righteousness. It makes me fear my relationships. It makes me fear other people's thoughts. Does anybody else ever feel this way? No, I heard somebody say no. (laughs) So as you consider for yourself this fear, this what makes me okay, I want to ask you some questions to help you consider what is it that I am codependent on to make me Okay. Let me ask you this question. Who will be unhappy with you if you don't perform well? Who will be upset if you don't act right or do good? Another question, maybe what's gonna fall apart or what are you afraid of falling apart if you fail? I'm sure we all have answers. I hope we do. If you need some more time, take some more time. Write the questions down. Pray through those. Ask Jesus to help you answer those questions. But living this way, living in this fear of things will fall apart if I don't perform. God will not be happy. My family will not be happy. My spouse will not be happy. My church will not be happy if I'm not performing well. If I'm not good enough, if I'm not trying hard enough, if if I'm not making more progress, things will not go well. Living this way among one another naturally causes us to live this way before God. We apply that thinking to God and think that we have to earn righteousness before him, that we have to earn his love. Because our world teaches us we have to earn its love. We naturally think we have to earn God's love. So as a Christian... We think if I pray hard enough, if I go to church enough, if I read my Bible enough, heck, if I understand my Bible enough, if I'm kind enough, if I'm generous enough, if my kids love Jesus, if I make enough disciples, if I do enough good things, be Christian enough, then God will be happy with me. The inverse of that is if I don't pray enough, God will not be happy with me. If I am not generous enough, if I am not kind enough, if I do not submit to the Lord enough, God will not be happy with me. And what I don't want you to hear is that these are bad things. I don't want you to hear that being kind and generous and submitting to the Lord is unnecessary or it's bad because that's not true. These are all good things, but they're not God. The people we're in relationship with are not God. Our circumstances is not God. But God also says what is true is that we don't have to earn his love. We don't have to perform. What I just prayed in Exodus 14, 14, he says, to his children whom he loves and freed from slavery, I'll fight your battles. You have only to be still. He's not asking us to perform. And so this constant state of fear this constant fear of of not being good enough, not trying hard enough. This also shows up in our book. Joshua is prone to the same disposition. And so it should should comfort you that you're not alone. Joshua is one of those characters in the Bible that we quickly think, oh, this guy's awesome. This is a hero. This is a guy I should model my life after. In some ways, yes. In many ways, no. No. Joshua relates to us because he's also very afraid. And so in Joshua 1, when God says, do not be afraid, he couples that that hope and that, that freedom from fear with, don't be afraid because I'm gonna be with you. I will never let you go. I will go where you go. In fact, I've gone before you. Remember, when God says to Joshua and he says to all of us, do not be afraid, what he's not saying is you don't have permission to fear. Stop it. Stop being afraid. That's like, stop being sad. You can't. Like, tell me to stop being afraid. I can't. It's not going to work. God is not saying do not be afraid. Stop it. You're not allowed. What he is saying is you don't have to be consumed by your fear. You don't have to Be a slave to your fear. Fear is not your motivation. Fear is not your security. Fear is a reminder that you are not God. So, when God reminds Joshua and he reminds um, us that we don't have to live in fear, he gives us a reason. He says, Because I'm going to be with you, because I'm for you, I'm for your good, I'm strong enough, I'm powerful enough, I will fight your battles. God does not want, nor does he need our performance. God does not want or need our performance. He does not want or need our good works, our Christianity. He does not want or need us to stick up, uh, to to stay up with um, all all the list of to-dos that we must do in order to be okay. He wants our souls. He wants our hearts. He wants our affections. He wants our presence. We can see in the first half of Joshua, in the first 12 chapters, that there's a a progression that God takes Israel through, that he takes um, the readers of Joshua through. There's a three-step progression for us to see that God's grace and love is better than whatever it is that we fear. And so this three-step progression that is meant to to break us free from our performance because God's love, like I said, God's love is untethered. It's also untainted by our performance. It's not connected to our performance, but it's also not corrupted by our lack of performance. God's love leads us through this this three-step progression in our fear. So we start with, I am fearful. If you're a note taker, there's a good framework for the sermon. We start with, I am fearful. And then remember, but God is faithful. So we can be hopeful. I am fearful, but God is faithful. So we can be hopeful. Fearful, faithful, Hopeful. Let's talk about fear. Anybody ever been afraid? Um, The first time I ever preached a sermon, it was actually not that long ago at our partner church, our uh, sister church, The Vessel. Uh, It was the week after Easter. And the lead pastor preached the Easter sermon and then they had me come in right after and then the week after me was gonna be the other pastor preaching Pentecost. And I got Judas... Um, falling headlong in a field and his bowels gushing out. That was my first sermon. (laughs) Can you believe that? They did that to me. You better believe I called them out on the spot when they were both gone. But I was afraid to preach that. It was my first sermon. It's a weird passage. I was afraid. And so in the the pre-service meeting, I told uh, the worship pastor, I was like, you're not gonna believe this. This is my first sermon. And he said, don't say that on stage (laughs) Don't tell anybody that. Well, then I had more fears, like, oh, no, I'm going to say it. It's like a Michael Scott moment right at the top of the elevator. Oh, I'm going to say it. <laughs> so not only was I afraid to preach this weird sermon, but I was afraid to say that it was my first sermon. So fear is a natural disposition to me, but it's, it's not necessarily that kind of fear That we're talking about. If you get to the root of that, I was afraid because I thought I had to perform well enough to be liked. I had to preach a great sermon in order for God to look on me with favor or for the church to accept me or for somebody to learn something. The fear that I'm talking about is just like this natural disposition that we have when something's out of our control or there's things that we don't know. How do we respond Our culture antagonizes fear. Fear is weakness, right? To be afraid means that you're weak, you're powerless, you're not in control. And I'm not just talking about American Western culture. I'm talking about church culture. We antagonize fear, we avoid fear, we suppress fear. We tell people they're not allowed to be afraid. We read things like Joshua 1 and say, look, the Bible even says, don't be afraid, stop. We say those things without really knowing What God means. We antagonize fear because it makes us feel weak. Well, let me tell you something. You are. And scripture says it all through Genesis to Revelation. You are weak, and that's good. Fear reminds us that we are not God, that we are not in control, that we are powerless to work for ourselves. And so in Matthew 5, I'm gonna give you one example because I already gave you Exodus 14, 14. One example, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, this great um, list of of Jesus' instructions on the nature of discipleship, the nature of following Jesus. He gives us, in the very beginning, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is like this, hey, if you wanna be a Christian, this is how to be, not what to do, not how to act, This is what being a Christian looks like. You know how that starts? He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Sit with that for a second. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus says, Virtuous. Are the poor in spirit favored, happy, successful are those who know they are weak and in need of God to be in control. That's so contradictory to what we in the church and in our our greater culture in America and in the West, what we believe about virtue is that we have to be in charge. We have to be in control. We have to be powerful enough so many times as we were being assessed for church planting, where we asked, do you have what it takes? And deep down, I'm like, no. But that's kind of the point, right? Like, me as a pastor, I'm just showing people how to depend on Jesus, right? And so when we look at Joshua 12... And we see this reflection of all these things that God has done. And we remember Exodus 14. We remember Joshua 1 when God says, don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to fight your battles. All you have to do is just watch and be still. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that the whole of Christianity begins with, hey, you're going to be happy if you just need me. And so the problem that we have with fear is not fear. Fear is not problematic. And what fear shows us is not problematic. Remember, fear shows us that we're not God. It shows us that we're weak. That's not problematic. What is problematic is when we use fear to fight for control. So there's two ways to respond. You remember, um, some of you might remember when we very first started Joshua, we looked at uh, Joshua 1, this passage when God says, do not be afraid, follow me. Keep your, your, your way straight. Don't swerve to the left or to the right. Stay straight on my path. And you do that by staying, keeping my word on your lips and staying close to me. There's two ways. That's trust, doing what God says to do. That's trust and obedience. That's faith. The other way is to fight my own battles, is to vie for control and make sure that I have what it takes and that I can do enough, I can self-protect. And we see all throughout the book of Joshua, especially in this conquest phase in the first half, the kings that come and fight against Israel, these are the kings that say, wait a second, Israel and the God of Israel is trying to take our stuff. We gotta fight him. And we get these little glimpses of Rahab and the Gibeonites, people that say, oh, I can't, I'm not strong enough. I'm just gonna surrender to God. And so we come up to Joshua 12 and we're thinking about fear, we're thinking about these two ways, uh, whether we trust God and follow him or we should be afraid and fight for control. I wanna tell you that in a lot of ways, a disposition to control is a survival mechanism. And so before I um, go into this sermon on shaming you and making you feel guilty for being controlling, I want you to know that I'm affirming your ability and your disposition in nature to survive, to stick to it, to stay with it, to stay in church, because there's a lot of things to be afraid of in church, especially what we've seen the last, what, 10, 20, 30, I mean, human history, is that our leadership often fails us. Other believers often fail us, and we get hurt by that. And so what are we afraid of when we walk into a room like this and we walk into a gathering like this? What are we afraid of? We're afraid of our past. We're afraid of being hurt again. We're afraid of being judged. We're afraid of failing. We're afraid that that maybe what's really true about me, that I'm weak and I'm not good enough, somebody's gonna see that and somebody's going to point a finger at me. And so I want to affirm those fears are understandable because the church is made up of broken people. They're understandable, but they're not excusable for, for people to throw those fears on you. And so I, I want to say your, your knack for survival is good. And instead of shaming you and making you feel guilty, I want to give you a better way a better way than control. You can control and you can survive that way and, and you're gonna live a life that way because you're not gonna give up. But there's a better way. Jesus. Jesus is better. Okay? So, Joshua was written to be read. All right? Why is any book written? Uh, some of us, it's decor for an empty shelf, right? Some of us, the, the cover looks nice. Joshua was written to be read. And so it has an audience, an audience that's not the people in the land because they're there. This book is about a promise of acquiring this land of possession. And so it's meant to be read centuries later by these people that are already in the land. What are they meant to read if they've already got the land that was promised? The role of Joshua 12 is that it acts like a pause. Remember that word, Selah. If you flip through the Psalms, you can open any page. If you don't see the word Selah in italics, flip a couple pages left or right, and you're gonna find one. That word Selah is a break. So the Psalms are songs, and that break is like what Caleb did earlier, and he just paused, and he's like, let's just be still. That's what Joshua 12 is. It's a reminder to pause and reflect. And so Joshua is the Selah, Joshua 12 is the Selah of this book. When the spirit says to us, just stop for a second. Just look at what God has done because it was God that defeated Jericho. It was God that defeated AI. It was God that restored your identity as his people when you renewed the covenant twice. It was God that defeated 31 kings and kingdoms that fought against him in order to establish his rule and reign in the goodness and holiness of his love. It was God that fought your battles. You don't have to be afraid. God is in control. God is faithful, and he is for your good. And we didn't plan this, but it's not a coincidence that Romans 8 is what Brian used for the call to worship because it's also what I want to use to to anchor and encourage uh, you guys in this this message of what do we do with our fear. So I'm going to read Romans 8. I'm not going to read um, all of what Brian read. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn over to Romans 8. We're going to look specifically at verses 31 through 33. 31 through 33, and then 38 through 39. I'm gonna read it, and I'm just gonna let you guys be still. I'm gonna let you say la, and just let it sink in. What then shall we say to these things? Referring to the work of Christ for us, that he made us righteous, that we don't have to be afraid. We're not a slave to fear because we're children of God. It's God who justifies. It's God who declares us righteous. Look at verse 38. And because God declares us righteous, I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, all of these things we are usually afraid of. Angels, demons, powers, heights. I'm afraid of heights. Depths, anything in creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why? Because we didn't perform for it. We don't have to perform to keep it. Nothing can take it away from us. We don't have to control what God gives us freely in Jesus. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Joshua 12 it's meant to give Israel, it's meant to give us the chance to stop and remember that I am fearful, but God is faithful. God fought the battles. We follow the instruction of the Holy Spirit in Joshua 12 to slow our lives down, to take a moment and reflect. There's, like, if you look at the Jewish calendar, it's feast after feast after feast after feast, like, Take a break after take a break. You know what? Every few weeks, let's take a break. Every few months, let's take a break. Every few years, let's take a break. God commands his people to stop and rest and reflect. And so we're gonna do that. Um, It's not an explicit command in Joshua 12, but it is very clearly what the Holy Spirit does in giving us Joshua 12. So we're gonna follow his lead. We're gonna follow Jesus in Joshua 12 to slow our lives down. And so um, this, uh, I'll give you two things. One, come to our party next next week. Come hang out at the pool and, and share a feast with us as we pause and reflect. Come to service next week. We're going to show a video. Now, the point of celebrating Redeemer's birthday next week is not to say, wow, look at Redeemer. Look how awesome we are. Look at all the things that we've done. We haven't done that much. We're a brand new church. That's okay. That's like expecting a baby to do more than it should. The point of celebrating our birthday is to worship. It's to say, look at what God has done. To reflect on the past year And remember that we are not in control. It's easy. Brian and I feel that temptation often to just go down that road. It's a subtle temptation from Satan to fight for control of this place. That's not our place. That's not our job to be in control. It's our job to follow Jesus. He's the head of the church. And so we'll take a break next week. We're gonna pause next Sunday afternoon at the municipal pool and just worship God, celebrate together and reflect on what God has done in this past year. But I also want to encourage you this week to take this week and make it a habit. Don't, don't cut it off on Saturday. Make it a habit to pause and reflect. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna, you can write down some questions, just make some mental notes if you want, just get a general sense for, for what I'm getting at. But as you reflect, here's some, some questions. Generally, simply, what has it been like? What's the last year been like? What have you felt? What have you been afraid of? What have you celebrated? What have you grieved What have you learned what have you lost what have you gained what is it that you're carrying with you now that you weren't carrying a year ago but I also want you to think about in this moment in light of the last year In what ways am I fighting for control? What am I afraid of? And what am I trying to control? And as you reflect, remember, God is faithful. I am fearful, but God is faithful, and God is for your good. And so ask him as you reflect, ask him to show you his faithfulness. Ask him to lead you to worship. And don't move too quickly. You, you do this this evening or tomorrow, tomorrow morning. And you're like, ah, cool, I got some things. Moving on. That's so easy for me to do. That's, that's generally what happens. The Spirit has, has urged me recently. If I feel like I got an answer, sit with it and just like feel it. Let it sink in. Maybe he's got more. Ask what else you have, God. Linger with the Spirit. Jesus is the place to linger, all right? There's so many other places we, we feel led to linger. I'm gonna tell you in, in this moment as we reflect and are led to worship by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the place to linger. The audience of Joshua, particular Joshua 12 is meant to reflect on the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promise of giving them the land. Um, but like I said before, the, the audience already is in the land. And so what are we reflecting on? We're reflecting on the fact that God already gave us the land. God has fulfilled his promises. We're here, we have it. But why are we reflecting on that? Because there's more because there's more hope, there's greater promises than just the land. God gave Israel the land not to give them the land and be done, that wasn't the point. We look in Genesis 12, when God promises this land to Abraham, he says, I'm gonna give you a people, I'm gonna make you my people and my possession, and I'm gonna give you a land of blessing and of promise in order that you would bless the world but that promise, that promise of a people and a place in order to be a blessing, that promise is anchored on a promise in Genesis 3.15. Adam and Eve, the first humans in the garden, walking with God, in God's presence, experiencing the fullness of grace and truth in God himself, perfect harmony and holiness, sinned against God. And God responds to them by clothing them, by covering up their shame. And then he says, there's gonna be a day when the fullness of time had come. And I will send my son to crush the head of the serpent that lied to you and deceived you and broke you apart from me. I promise I'm coming back. The promise in Joshua 12 is not for the land, it's Jesus. What was the land about? Jesus. What was Israel about? Jesus. And so as we reflect on Joshua 12, we reflect on God's faithfulness and on God's goodness, on what he's done in the past. It also causes us to hope in our future, that God had sent his son in order to save us from him, but he also has promised to send him again to bring us back to fullness of life with him. Jesus doesn't only offer us salvation. He offers us resurrection. He offers us fullness of life in him now and in the days to come. So when he does come back, we'll get to spend eternity with God. We have no grasp of eternity we don't even know how to categorize that it's not even time to us but don't worry about that just focus on the fact we get to be in the presence of god forever in full perfect submission to him and his goodness this this is why we gather this is why we're the church this is why we sing, this is why we read our scripture, this is why we pray, this is why we worship and why we take communion. This is why we have hope. I am fearful, but God is faithful, so I, we can be hopeful. Because we're so waiting for this promise. So as we look back at this year, We surrender our failure. We surrender our fears to God. And we trust that we're not in control. We don't have to be in control. You're allowed to be weak. You're allowed to fail. You're allowed to be afraid. Let that fear cause you to trust in God's faithfulness, in God's wisdom, in God's control. I am fearful, but God is faithful so we can be hopeful. Now, if you're not a Christian, um, we do ask that you don't take communion with us. And the reason for that is in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, the Holy Spirit tells us that it's actually good that you refrain because he wants you to reflect, right? He wants you to reflect on what communion is. We don't partake as, as if you're an unbeliever, you don't partake in uh, the body and the blood of Jesus because you've not accepted it. And so would you reflect now on the hope that I've just given you, on the promise that is for you? Would you consider and reflect all the ways that you're attempting and living to control your life and even your salvation? Would you trust in Jesus alone to perform for you? And in turn, during this time, we're actually gonna ask the whole church to consider this. So Christian, non-Christian, whatever, let's reflect on the fact that Jesus has made it possible for you to be weak, for you to give up control, for you to accept your weaknesses and trust him to save you from sin and death. Let's this morning together as a church say yes to Jesus, to worship him, and spirit and truth, and hope for his promises to come true. I am fearful, but God is faithful, so we can be hopeful. Holy Father, you've brought us into this day by your power and your might. You've brought us into this new day in your sovereignty and your control, that we would live for you. There's nothing we must do but be still. And so would you prepare our hearts and our minds as we take the body and the blood of your son that you've given us freely? Would you remind us that you have performed for us? That in your son, he lived the perfect life we can't live. He performed all the things that we wish we could perform for ourselves but he also died the death that we never, never want. He took that as a punishment for us and we thank you and we praise you. And we also look to him in hope because he rose from the dead and he promises that we would get to rise with him too. And so we we pray hopefully for this promise of resurrection that we don't have to fear death We don't have to be slaves to sin and fear because of the promise you've given us in your son Jesus that we would have life forever with him. Holy Spirit, would you cause us to worship? Would you help us to reflect this week on your goodness, on how you've worked for us, how you fought our battles Help us to submit. Amen.